episode of BSing with Sean K. I'm your host, Sean Neese. For new listeners, what I do on this show is I talk with unique individuals from all walks of life who are not conforming to the typical nine-to-five lifestyle and are pursuing their passions instead. And uh, usually they're creative or artistic passions like actors, poets, musicians, filmmakers, comedians, uh, anything along those lines, uh, sometimes activists too, just uh, people who have a message they're living by, like in a philosophy they're living by and just staying true to themselves and not going along with what everybody else is doing. And for today's episode, I'm going to play you an interview I did with Pasquale Santoro, or DJ Pat Pervert is the name he goes by, his stage name. And he's a punk rock DJ who DJs at a bar at East 14th Street on the edge of the Lower East Side near Alphabet City called Auto Shrunken Head. It's advertised as a tiki bar, as he says in the interview, but it's really a punk rock bar. And, um, or anything alternative, anything, any kind of music that's like part of a subculture and outside the mainstream, any you know, hardcore, uh, punk, um, you know, anything along those lines. And different nights of the week, there's different DJs. On Thursday, he DJs for uh, from uh, 6 to 10, and he does the punk rock happy hour, it's called. And then at 10 o'clock, some, uh, there's some local punk bands play, and sometimes punk bands from other places as well. So if you're into, you know, alternative music or punk music or just curious in general, um, then definitely stop by and check it out. Anyway, uh, we we did the interview at Auto Shrunken Head. And usually I, I take out the background noise in uh, interviews, but I wanted to leave in some of the background noise for this interview because I wanted to create the atmosphere that, like, you're sitting uh, with me and Pat as we're talking, having a drink, too. And he talked about his DJing, how he got started with that. And he also talks a bit about his days in the punk scene when he played in a band called Deviant Behavior. And he also talked about his political beliefs and the events in his life that helped develop his political beliefs and also his views about uh, social issues such as racism. And he also writes in a blog. I'll leave a link to it in the description of this episode, but... It has all the info about his music and his DJing. We got in a little bit of a debate at the end about freedom of speech and whether hate speech is free speech and whether um, Nazis should have the right to march in the street under the First Amendment. And uh, it was a pretty civil debate. I think we, you know, we 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 kept it pretty civil, and I think it uh, should be entertaining for the listeners uh, to listen to, if nothing else. And um, yeah, anyway, here's the interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, 
So I'm here with, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, um, DJ Pat Perfect. Uh, extraordinaire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess, what can you tell us about yourself and what you do? Oh, Jesus. I mean, that, that's a long road, but I'll try to cut it short. Uh, uh, I'm a punk rock DJ, but that's not where I started. I actually started as a... Uh, a homeless kid in the Lower East Side in 1991. <laughs> so, uh, and I went up from there. You know, I'm a late bloomer compared to, compared to many of my friends who came from uh, punk culture and, uh, you know, punk and post-punk culture. I'm late bloomer compared to the people I know, you know. Um, I, uh, I ended up on the streets by choice. I'm not going to lie about that. It was, it was by choice because I needed to get away from my family. Um, the need to get away from them was unbelievable. It was, um, it was, uh, it was. I'd rather be here than rather be there. And so I learned a lot from those experiences. Quite a few years that I was out there. But during that time, I did a lot of writing, and I put a band together called uh, Deviant Behavior. And uh, for for ten glorious years, we did really, really well for an unsigned band. Um, that's something that people can look up. They can find our stuff on iTunes and. Like just about everything, you can find them anywhere. You know, like my records, I got two records that are being sold. Um, and then uh, I think when I first really took up DJing was in the 80s, you know, and at that time I was into freestyle, you know, yeah. like freestyle music or whatever. And uh, we worked with vinyl, the whole nine yards, even tape decks, you know, we worked with tape decks. And uh, I moved on from there. I needed a change in my life where I realized, okay, this is not real anymore. And, I, and uh, I had a friend of mine, his name was Peter King, and he introduced me to alternative music. The first of it was industrial. And I started learning about that music, and I started learning about the politics of the music and what they were singing about. And I was like, oh my God, they're actually using music in a way that, uh, that other people sing about bullshit, and they sing yeah. about things that are real. And I was like, this is amazing. I needed to be here. I was like, this is my place. So my first introduction to alternative culture was bands like Skinny Puppy, Altern uh Enter the Zinu Botten, um oh, yeah. uh, 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 Throbbing Gristle and and uh, you know things like that. And it pulled me into punk culture as well. Mm. You know? It so just, so you did like uh, industrial kind of music? I still do it. Nice. I still do it. I DJ at DEFCON, you know, with a, a DJ Stalagmike, uh, DEFCON is a hardcore industrial, early industrial. They don't, use, they don't do what they call Industrial Day, uh, the cyber goth or whatever mm -hmm. that is. We don't do that. It's a early EBM industrial type stuff. So we do that over there. And I guess how would you uh, describe like industrial music to people maybe who aren't? Like, They're not familiar stuff. with that term. The best way I can describe it because industrial music is one of the few forms of music that I know that like feed upon what's going on in the outside world. Mm -hmm. it, it incorporates it. So at that time, let's say uh, it's at this time, say it's 1989, yeah. you're going to hear the sounds and the political things that were going on then, right then and there, and they're going to incorporate that into music. If it's 1995, you're going to hear what was going on yeah. then. <laughs> and then it moves forward and moves forward. It's an ever-changing ever music. Um, it almost has no core value, especially if you consider cyber. Yeah. industrial it's so different from what i'm used to it's like unbelievable some of those yeah. kids consider it uh industrial and what wasn't it some of it kind of like a reaction like they thought meaning was being lost like with uh the rise of technology and well the rise of technology yeah. well early in yeah. well the thing about early industrial is that they used acoustic sounds sampled 
you use this and you put it together, you had guitars, you had drummers, you had bass, and you had live musicians that had to make this. Our Jurgensen, we call him Grandpa Jurgensen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, like, I mean, this style of music is very different than what these, this generation, I think, like the newer generation, is kind of lost. Like, the edge. When I say the edge, it's become club music. And industrial kids were never club kids. That's not what, that's not what they did. They didn't exist just at night. Yeah. They existed <laughs> anywhere. You know? Right. You know, it's, it was a culture and a foundation, mm. you know? So you've so, always kind of had like those political beliefs about society absolutely. and this was and finally that, a way to... And that's what pulled me into punk because yeah. punk was very serious about its politics, mm. you know? So you, and, so you were a late bloomer in the sense like you didn't find what you were passionate about Well, later, was that... Exactly, yeah. you, have to, you have to find it. The thing was is that I was lucky that I came across it. I had a person who exposed me to it and made me realize that like it's okay to be different, to think differently, to be a different person. And... And that's what it was, you know. Nice. And how did you? Uh, and by the way, we're we're here at uh, Otto's Shrunken Head. Yeah. Uh, the Lower East. This is Lower East Side, right? Yeah. This is the edge of the Lower East Side. Yeah. <laughs> Once you walk across the street, you're in you're in uh, you're in Stuyvesant. Yeah. You know, which is a different neighborhood. And it's uh, they they can't the listeners can't see, but it's a very. Yeah, you interesting can call place. it Lower East Side, but yeah. technically on the map it would be Alphabet City. And there's know? uh there's usually punk music playing here. I know when you're here, there's punk music well, there's... Alphabet City in the Lower East Side was punk fronted. That's all it was. Uh, from where I come from, like in 1991 or whatever, the punks didn't just work in the clubs and in the bars and in the hotels and in the everything. They also were a part of the nightlife, which were like, uh, it was an actual culture. There was no place you can go on these streets from 14th all the way down to Delancey, maybe even beyond, that you wouldn't find punk rockers walking around all over the place. Because not only did they perform here, live, work, and play, that's what it was. It's like they did all of that. They did all of that. It's like they actually lived in the buildings where yuppies live now. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't just uh, like something they do, then go home and... No, was, the was, home was, was here. Whole, was this was home. <laughs> this was home. You went home in the Lower East Side. You went to work in the Lower East Side. And you played in the Lower East Side. That's what it was. And the thing that made it really great was there was a great influx of like uh, tourists that would come in, but they weren't your typical tourists. They were, they were uh, punks and goths and new wavers and industrial kids coming in from other countries, you know, to the Lower East Side and would just mix up. Some of them would just be like, fuck the visa thing and just end up staying for months, you know, because they loved it so much, you know, squatting, whatever they had to do, you know. And you would say a lot of it in the U.S. at least started here in New York or? As far as punk culture? Yeah. I would say that New York City is the home of punk rock, that's for sure. And for me, punk rock is the home of all alternative music. That includes anything related, industrial, uh, goth, new wave. Yeah. It gave birth to all that, right? Yeah. I believe 1965 was the starting year for that. Mm. And I know uh, punk means different things to different people, obviously. Sure there's, the, there's the anarchist punk, and then there's like the Ian Mackay, there's the straight edge punk. There's the straight edge punk, yeah. It's all punk rock. So It's all punk, but it's, it's that fraction of punk, but it's still punk rock. So it's like, uh, I guess, what does it mean to you? It's like about being an individual, I guess, is the main thing? Or just... Here's the weird thing about punk. Punk embraces individuality. As much as, as much as it, inva- it, it embraces unity, without either one, because a lot of people <clears throat> would look at it like this. Let's take politics today, when they're like, 
your conservative politics about being individuals. They want to be individuals. They don't want to pay taxes yeah. or high taxes. They want to. Uh, they want to be individuals. You build your empire, and that's yours, and that's yours, and it settles. It really doesn't have much to do with community. It's about what goes the in your own pocket. Rand right. Kind of it's mentality. in your pocket, and that's the way yeah. it works. The other side is community. Yeah. You know, and and uh, they a lot of people feel worried about that. They feel that community takes your individuality away. Mm. The punks have found a balance between that. It's yeah. always been that. It's been individuality with community. So you have both. You have both. You know, you can be a part of a community and be an individual. It's as simple as that, but you are a contributing member to that no matter what. You're not exempt from that. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, you're contributing to that. Where you go and what you do affects somebody else no matter what. Call it the butterfly effect or whatever, but as far as that's concerned, you're a part of that community. You are a part of that community, but you can be your individual. So and yes. I, yeah, and I guess the, the people we were talking about probably have a different concept of individual. It means probably more to them, like, I guess, um, how do much it, money, they're making a lot of money. And well, like do, building it, an do yeah. what you want to do and leave the government behind, leave community behind. Yeah. Leave every, look, a lot of punks are anti-government, and I get it. I get that because the government fucks up. But yeah. what if the government didn't fuck up and actually did what they were supposed to do? Yeah. It's supposed to be for the people, by the people, right? So if they were just representation of what we believe in and what people believe in, right, mm -hmm. then the government would be fine. Unfortunately, we don't have that. What we have is like we're against the government because the government is yeah. against the people. So that's the problem. If it worked, yeah. if they did what they were supposed to do, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. You know? What a lot of people would argue, you know, it's more private interests and stuff that's well, controlling I mean, most of what's going on more than the government. Yeah, you don't want to go too yeah. far. You don't want to step too far. Yeah. And you don't want to step too back either, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm not anti-government as a punk. There's a lot of fucking punks I know completely anti. Anarchists, totally get rid of them. I'm not like that. My problem is I'm anti-stupid assholes who are in <laughs> government, yeah. you know? And I'm like, you know... My thing is, is that, like, look, we can either, one, you want to go anarchy all the way and you want to have a Mad Max world, that's fine. You want to do that, but understand, you might end up eating dog food and whatever you want, you know? Or we can have something that's a central point, a representation that says, we really will take care of you. Yeah. If you tell us we need to do this, you're our employer, we do this, and we make sure it happens. So one way or another, you got to figure that out. The point is, is that like I've lived homeless, so I know what it's like. That is a Mad Max world. Hmm. It's a rat race, even on the lowest level you can ever get. There's a rat race on the top. We know that. Yeah. The rich compete with each other, yeah. but the homeless compete with each other too. It's the worst thing you could ever imagine. Uh, like, like in what way? You mean like trying to get the attention everybody's of looking for resources. Mm -hmm. You're hungry. You're tired. That guy's on the corner panhandling. That's your corner. See? Yeah. See, that's kind of an interesting thing you pointed out. It's like whether you have like too little or you have too much, like it's like those same we're just basic looking, human instincts right. kick just, in. Yeah, we're just looking for a balance. Yeah. And the thing is, is that some people are greedy more than others, but I don't mind the idea that something, something's in place that says, you want to be that greedy? Guess what? You can't be that greedy. You can't. You're going to be fine. You're going to eat today. You're going to have a roof over your head, but you're not going to be able to fuck that guy over so you can just have more in your pocket. That I can't go for. And uh, I guess, uh, how, how did your political beliefs develop? Was it through uh, being homeless and everything was the main thing? Yes. You, when, you, when, you're, when you're on the streets and you're that low in life, 
to the point where like you literally depended on like people walking by you so you can eat that day you see the world in a different place you see uh, you see uh, how mean people can be and then you can also see how generous people can be it's both at the same time you know and if it wasn't for the generosity of the people that were that had helped me out at that time, I would have never been able to pull myself out of it. But most of that generosity came from my, from the from punk culture. Mm. It was the people who did have a little bit more than me, not much, that helped me out and put me on my feet. And then I did something for them after I got even beyond where they were. Mm. You know? So you found like, uh, I guess, uh, middle class or like working class people to be more generous. I wouldn't I call them so. middle. I wouldn't call them middle. I would say poverty class but still had a roof over their head yeah that's okay. different than that's yeah. different than being homeless and nothing <laughs> okay that's a luxury to people who are homeless the roof over the head in yeah. poverty <laughs> is luxury compared to being homeless so that's what it was hmm. and uh, how'd you get started here at uh, Otto's shrunken head and I guess what can you tell that story goes back before Otto's shrunken head the owner his name is Steve Sp uh, Steve Steve Peng uh, this is not his first business. His first business was a place called Tasty Fish on Ridge Street, right here in the Lower East Side, and it was a rehearsal studio. It was a rehearsal studio that he booked bands so they can practice and do the whole nine yards. And at that time, I was in a band and I had a roof over my head and I was doing well at that time. And uh, I would come down and practice with him. We became good friends. When I started, when I lost the band, I pretty much lost everything, including my enthusiasm about life and like, you know, I wanted to kill myself and like, you know, I had been through this horrible time, alcoholism, cocaine, fucking, just getting fucked up, you know, the whole nine yards. I was in a bad position, you know, and uh, Steve came to me and he was like, listen, I'll give you a job a couple of days a week here at Tasty Fish. So I managed a place, you know booked all the bands, got to know all of them, which was great connections. You know, all the bands are great. When you know people, that's that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good thing. So uh, I worked at Tasty Fish for, what, two years, three years before they went out of business. They went out of business only because the building itself got condemned. It was so bad. There were rats running through the walls. That's how bad it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And at that time, I was homeless still. So I slept at the studio. He allowed me to stay at the studio and I would sleep. But it wasn't fun with rats fucking crawling all yeah. over you. Yeah, it wasn't really run. Yeah. So eventually it got condemned. We had a big demolition party. We broke the walls down for everybody, you know, through televisions through the yeah. window. There were televisions <laughs> flying out on Ridge Street, you know. And after that he got a couple of investors from from uh, Chinatown. He's he you know, from Chinatown. That's where he was born and raised, you know, in Chinatown. And uh, he got a couple of investors together and he opened this place up. We knew the owner from the place that was here. It was called Barmacy, and I remember her. Really nice rock and roll chick, you know, from back in the day. I can't remember her name, but he bought it from her with a couple of investors, and I was on board all the time. The point is that I only went from one place to the next, so I've been here for 15 years for this place. They're celebrating their 15-year anniversary this month, you know, so I've been here the whole time. But I didn't have a regular DJ gig up until about maybe 13 years ago. So about 13 years I've been doing this. So you did more like the management here too? Or? I bartended, I cleaned the place, I mm. bar backed, <laughs> anything they need me for. Phone call, I'm there. And that's mm. how I did it. I guess, uh, what, how would you, uh, 
I guess, describe this place to people who haven't been here? I know that, like... A lot of people are very confused about it because it's marketed in the uh, in Time Out and, like, the Yuppie magazines and all of that stuff as a tiki bar. When they get here, they're very confused. As soon as they see the fucking punk rockers here yeah. and the goth kids and everything, they're like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. The psychobilly kids and the rockabilly kids, they're not getting it. The connection between uh, tiki and alternative culture. They don't get the connection. Yeah. <laughs> they think that alternative, they think that tiki is just like uh, made for yuppies, you know? Yeah. No, if there's any people that appreciate tiki, it's fucking alternative kids. They can always come down. They like the whole Hawaiian thing. It's, a, it's always been a thing since the 1950s. Since rock and roll, it's always been a rock and roll thing. Yeah. You know, it has always been a rock and roll thing from Elvis all the way out. You know, but they don't get that connection. So they come in and they're like, "Wow, what is this?" You know, like they're not. Yeah. They're not they expect it to be posh. It's not. It's a dive bar. It's a dive bar. Yeah. With loud bands in the back and fucking punk rock blaring up front. <laughs> but you can get some of the greatest drinks and that you can and have. And have those uh, interesting yeah. mugs. All too, the right? girls are tattooed yeah. up and the fuck behind the bar. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, like you know, it's the whole nine yards. You know, it's it's open and welcome to alternative culture, Steve has always been a part of rock and roll culture in that way. He's a drummer, he's a musician, you know, as an owner. He's a musician as well. He just, he, he's just about to release a new album from his band called The Carvels, who've been around for about 15 years now, 15, 20 years now. So, so he's ready to release another record. This is the owner of the bar. Nice. <laughs> if you wanted to know a sister bar to this place, it would be Beauty Bar. That's the sister bar. And that's the uh, same people yeah, work? Or? The same people owned both places before Steve bought this one out and the guy bought that one out. And they're very close friends. So we're connected together in a way that we transfer things all the time. Bands, musicians, everything go back and forth between you and that. So. Nice. And uh, I guess so you DJ here for a couple hours and then there's some bands that play here later, yeah. right? So it's also Now, fun. I don't do all the band booking, but uh, uh, it's done by the house. So we let the house do the booking. Sometimes she, it's a hit or a miss, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I just take care of the DJ. I think once I get back on my feet, like more stable, when I find better work, better money, I might request from the club that I actually have control of the back house and the front house. So I get the bands, it's my, my job to get the bands, and I do the DJ. I wanna make sure that I have the whole night that is completely mine, at least from six to 10. You know? Nice. And uh, so what goes on like the rest of the week aside from Oh, uh, you got it. You got, well, every day there's a DJ here. Except for maybe Mondays and Tuesdays, but there's a DJ. He, Steve's, uh, the owner of the bar, Steve, his, his thing about running things is consistency. He's got things set up and they've been set up for years. I have other DJ. I'm not the only 13-year DJ here. There's five or six other DJs that are here on different nights that have had monthly and weekly parties here for 13 years at least. He likes the consistency. It, it, he's, he's, like, he's like, and then he'll make the changes during happy hour, like when there's open space and get new people in and stuff like that. If they work their way into it, then they become a part of the, you know, the Otto's culture. And then like, you know, they can have their own nights that become their own, you know, but he's very consistent. He thinks that consistency is more important than like sporadic, like you never know what's going on. You got to see here, got to see there. He's like, this is you're going to be here on this day, and that's it. These are your fans. Bring them in. You know? And uh, what do you enjoy the most about DJing? Like, in, uh... oh man. Um, well, because I'm a music lover, 
Like you probably, I'm yeah. sure, right? You know? I've seen you with the Bauhaus yeah, t-shirt, yeah. dude. One of, my, one of my favorites. Yeah. Peter Murphy's, you know, and the rest, <laughs> what they did with Tones on Tales and the whole minor. My thing is that I'm like, I love music beyond belief, you know? I don't feel like being on stage as a front performer like I was in my band, which we got very big, you know, but we were unsigned because we were too crazy. We were like Gigi Allen meets Plasmatics. That's not something that was signable at that time. People were like, you guys are too fucking nuts, you know? And I'm like, okay, that's cool, you know? But we did very well for an unsigned band, you know? Um, I'm willing to have a reunion to do that, you know, to have a reunion, get a big, nice big show together, you know, and have a lot of old school cats come out for the show and everything. Maybe it might be in the works one day, but for now, DJing is the one thing that picked up to be artistic, you know, to keep me in that loop of being artistic, because I don't think, if, if I don't have that in my life, at least a little bit, I'd probably go yeah. crazy. I couldn't be somebody that just goes to work and just goes home. Yeah. I can't be that guy. So you'd have like an outlet. I gotta like, have an outlet. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so I guess, even though it's not your music, it's still like choosing the songs is kind of an art, is that well, it? Well, the thing is that it's choosing, arranging, and even beat matching, which is what I do. You know, it depends on how you put it together. Um, you really got to feel what other people are feeling and then if they're not feeling if, they, if they're feeling in a way as a DJ you they're feeling in a certain way that you're like uh, yeah I'm not doing that for you you have to be you have to step up to the plate and be like I know what you're feeling and I can't do that for you that's not the kind of DJ I am you know so when somebody walks up and they're like I want Britney Spears and I'm like, what you want to do is like get your drink and like, you know, <laughs> I can't help you. This is my happy hour. Yeah, not I yours. can't help you. I'm never that. I'm never that rude until they request something that's ridiculous compared to what I'm I'm doing already. I can't do the pop world. The pop world is if when people ask me, well, what is punk, right? And I'm like, listen, I can't answer you about what is punk because it's alternative. It's a it's whatever goes right so I'm like if it's like that the one thing I can answer what it what isn't it I know what it's not and what it's not it's not pop culture that's what it's not and that's the only answer I can give for that yeah. it's not pop culture and I guess would you say it has more of like a longevity because of that because it's not just going along with well it's uh, undefinable yeah you know it's undefinable you know Nice. And, uh, generally, generally. You have your basics, you know what it sounds like. You know when you're hearing punk rock, but something else can be punk rock too. You know, that's the whole thing. It's alternative. So it's like, it just means that it's alternative to whatever the fuck you like. It's uh, anti-you. <laughs> it's anti-you. That's what it is. You know? And have you uh, DJed like other genres? I know you did the uh, industrial. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, the genres I do, to put it all together, because I consider it one family, because I consider... The, the godfather of alternative music that's different from mainstream would be punk rock, would be punk. Yeah. Okay, uh, proto-punk would be the first, you know, from 1965 to 1975 or 74. The Ramones hit the three-chord basic punk sound that you know and everybody knows, but before that there was a ton of people, like uh, everything from like, you know, Iggy Pop and Lou Reed and all those guys. I mean, Lou Reed is fucking playing with upright bass and like fucking getting high on heroin and like yeah. you know you know stuff like that but it's still con considered that because when the Beatles were running around singing about like flowers and like you know these guys were talking about cutting themselves up and fucking doing heroin 
So this was basically the degenerate, the Bowery, the Bowery of New York City, you know, like Bowery, like it was degenerate, it was like dirty, (laughs) it was scared to go down there, you might get robbed, you might get, that's punk rock, that's the early stages of punk rock, that music coming up, even Blondie, who became very popular, you know, but she's, she's from that era, she comes from her era where her mom was like, was like blowing smoke in her face, you know, (laughs) so that's the whole thing, that's, that's that whole thing. So from 65 to 75, I'd say uh, you had a proto-punk and then the term punk rock, which was made from the media, from Punk Magazine. If you know anything about Punk Magazine, you should look it up. It's okay. the old school articles. They've got millions of articles, like, you know, of the, the original Punk Magazine. And it had all that kind of stuff and the terminology of punk rock, punk rock music. Like, these guys are degenerates, you know? You know, and came out with that. That's the home of like alternative music, you know. So I base my stuff there. So uh, is this still, in any ways, like the same city? It was like completely different. Are, are you disappointed up, with how it changed? Yes, or? I am, and I hate to say that. It's it's disappointing. I think it has hope if there was enough marketing, and at least in the alternative culture, if there was enough marketing, I hate to say it, because it's all about, we weren't supposed to do that. We weren't supposed to be marketing ourselves. We weren't supposed to be like, but I'm at this point where like, half the yuppies that you see hanging out all the time, everywhere, half of them inside here would probably relate to what I'm doing more than what they're doing at the moment. The truth is, that's it. They're like, sick of their job, sick of these things, they always have to be posh and look the way they have to look so they can please anybody else. Are you fucking happy doing that? How about if I told you you can come and hang out with somebody like me and you can be a fucking scumbag and not yeah. have to worry about it? <laughs> not have to worry about that shit. You can actually be you. When you get off of work, you don't have to be somebody else. Hmm. That's what I'm talking about. I want to hit those guys. So you think it's like a lot of the people pursuing, uh, I guess, more normal career paths is more like that's what their They're parents trying, wanted? They're trying, but they hated it. They hate it as much as you and I would hate it. They do. We chose differently. Yeah. They don't have the guts to. I want to give them. I want to give it to them. I'm like, you could do this. And if you do your, if you play your cards right, you might actually make this profitable. You might actually make a living being away from that bullshit. They just have to use their brains. They have to think. And I need them to do that. And that's kind of what this show is. All people making money or pursuing passions outside the bullshit. Right. But it expands away from... Punk and stuff, but it all kind of ties together. As long as it ties yeah. together. Yeah. As long, as long as you end up in that place, yeah. you know. And I'm like, if I meet you, there's a reason why I met you, and that's it. Yeah. You know. And uh, I guess um, you also do like writing on your blog. I saw right, like mainly I've seen you talk about racism was the main thing. All the time, all the time. Yeah. When I see it, I hate it. That's the whole thing. I don't understand it. Yeah. I'm black and Italian. My parents got married in 1969. If they could fucking do that in 1969, 1969, then don't give me any bullshit. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to hear it, you know? I'm calling for, for people to understand. Look, I'm calling for people to understand. If you don't wear the shoes of somebody else, doesn't mean that you can't understand. Try. Use yeah. your fucking imagination. Use your imagination. Don't downplay anything that people are fighting for. If they're fighting for it, there must be a reason why something's wrong. So try and figure that out, but try to take it from a perspective that you can put yourself in the middle of it. And then you say, oh, now I feel that. Now I understand. Now I understand. If people can just open up and do that, then maybe they would understand why an athlete takes a kneel during the national anthem. Yeah. They might understand why, uh, you know, 
why people protest, you know? You know, I feel like no matter how you protest, it's wrong. If you march, it's bad. Yeah. If you kneel, <laughs> it's bad. So where, what, yeah. what do you want to do? How peaceful can you get? So maybe if I punch somebody in the face, would that be better? You know, it's the whole thing. It's like, that's what I'm saying. You got fucking Nazis storming out fucking American yeah. streets with Polynesian torches because they don't know where that's from, right? Yeah. They, don't, they don't understand that Polynesians yeah. don't like them. Okay. Well, Trump you know. said they, they were very fine people. I know, I know, and the government that that that's like won't won't openly reject them. I mean, when I say reject, I yeah. need a we need a, a government that goes. We don't we we do not condone this. Fuck you. This is not a matter of freedom of speech. This is a matter of terrorism. The history of everything that that leads up to that is terrorism. I'm sorry. If you're black or brown like me. That's fucking terrorism, okay? And I'm sorry, if it's okay for them to do it, then ISIS should be able to walk through the streets, or the Taliban, or anybody else with any political ideal should be able to walk through the streets with guns and torches, with their political ideas, under freedom of speech, and enjoy themselves, you know? But if only one group of people can get away with that after the history of what they've done, yeah. is ridiculous. That's ridiculous yeah. to me. It's not a matter of freedom of speech to me. Well, I guess, well, I, guess I, I see... Like where you're coming from, like you think it, like it leads to bad, worse results beyond speech is what you're saying? Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. Well, you know what the speech is. Yeah. Okay, well, you can't have what they're looking for without forcing it. Now, how do they do that? They do it through yeah. oppression. Now, this has been done before. It's systemic. It's, mm -hmm. it's within the culture of American yeah. history. It's already there. Now, how many people have to die before you say, okay, this is not a matter of freedom of speech. This is a matter of terrorism. Mm -hmm. What you're advocating is terrorism. And if these brown people over here with their crazy ISIS ideals can't do this, then why the fuck can you? That's my point of view. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, I agree, like, if they're threatening violence and everything, but if you start censoring... But they are! Yeah. It's white supremacy, right? Mm -hmm. And what is that to black and brown people? What violence. has it... Well, I mean, it's, it's threat. It's, it makes people uncomfortable, I know. Un like, yeah. No, it makes white people uncomfortable. Yeah. It makes black and brown people scared to death. Yeah. There's the difference. Hmm. Scared to death. Okay? Oh. Because we know how that works out. So, so what, what would you say is, like, the main way to, I guess, combat racism? Like, uh... At least this much. I would, look, I, if you have a political stance where, like, these guys are for the oppression of other people, which is the same thing that ISIS is. They're like, we don't like you, so we're going to hold you down. Hmm. Now, ISIS can't march through our streets, can they? That would never happen, can they? No. Okay, so neither can they. And but I guess I would no, argue unless no. someone if, supports if, if ISIS could, is actually right. advocating they, violence, then they shouldn't Well, they always do. So I'm like, well, yeah. if they could, if they could, right? Yeah. Under the guise of freedom of speech, then I'd, I would shut my mouth up. Well, I wish I wish at least yeah. on freedom of speech. Let it be equal. Well, if you're th yeah, yeah if let it be if equal. You're threatening violence. That's not freedom of speech. Well, what do you think? Yeah. Well, what do you think they're threatening? I mean, yeah. you can't have white, well, I mean, yeah. you can't have that yeah. without without force. You have to force that on people. So that's so that's are you saying like beyond like just saying something that's racist and like actually? Oh, I don't care. No, I don't care. If people want to be racist, they have every right. Oh, okay. have, enjoy yourself. Yeah. Have a good time. Here's what I want from racist people. If you're the kind of person that you want to stick with your own kind and you, you, you don't like people from other races, then you live your life as such. You get married to the same 
people that you want to get married to, you live your life, yeah. that you want to do, you do anything. But as soon as you start storming the streets with, with torches and you're trying to change political government hmm. to your stance, when, as soon as you start doing that, you're, you're done. You're done. I'm like, you're done. You're done. You can live your life the way you want to. You have a right to be a racist. Nobody can stop you from doing that. But damn it, don't get in my way. That's all. As yeah. soon as you do that, then it becomes a problem with democracy, a problem with like who you are. So I'm like, you can live your life. You can be a racist if you want to and live your life. But damn it, when you're marching through the streets calling for like the death of like anybody who's not like you, then you've become a terrorist. Hmm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But see, like, when conservatives argue, like, that Muslims shouldn't be allowed to argue for uh, Sharia law, I don't really agree with that either, because, like, unless they're actually doing things to enforce their beliefs with violence well, the, on people. Well, the Sharia like, law, still, like, yeah. well, I mean, I don't, I don't find Sharia law a threat, at least yet. No, I, no, I don't know? either, but I'm saying, like... But, I, I mean, if it became a threat, I would take that same stance. I would be like, I wouldn't want that for, like, you yeah. or me or anybody else. If you for trying to force that on me, then that's where the problem yeah. comes from. Just like if you're trying to force white supremacy on me, I don't. Find, I'm sorry, I don't find you can yeah. lead. You can actually be that way, and not try to make it uh, government policy. So you're saying That's like to I'm the saying. point where they start getting into government and actually like trying to. Which is where things. they are. It yeah. always has been. It's called. Uh, it's called systemic racism. It's yeah. here. It, it doesn't go anywhere. That's the threat that black and brown people feel. That's it. Yeah. So, like, the, the racism that's coming out with, like, the alt-right, that's something that's always kind of okay. been there. Yeah. The, the, them marching through the streets is skimming it yeah. compared to what we have to go through systemically. Changing that is the big problem. Mm. Those guys, I'm like, yeah. whatever. It's the systemic problem mm. that needs to change. Yeah. So do you think, like, minds could be changed, like, people could no. see outside their pre nope. prejudices? I'm not talking about, like, nope. people as far as, like... Um, you know, like neo Nazis and stuff like that, but yeah. like people, everyday people, that, you know, have everyday their... people. Yeah, everyday people, if they can open themselves, yeah, that would be really cool. You know, cool. that would be really cool. And I don't know how to expose that to them. The only thing I can say is that if a black person has a representation, talks about racism to white people who are kind of borderline, they don't listen as well yeah. to a person who who's white and understands racism really well. I think that they would give them more more attention to that you know and I've seen that happen you know that it, it's called privilege yeah. it's a lot of thing that people if you're white and you talk yeah. to other white people about racism they might listen to you more if you were black they may not listen to you as well so my thing is that if you're a white person you stand against racism just the way black and brown people do and and all other minorities then take that force and and fucking make that shit happen. That's the privilege. You have a privilege to actually change people's minds. Because if I'm up there, or anybody's up there, anybody else like that, yeah. they're not going to listen as well. That's the yeah. whole thing. So, cool. yes, there's a chance. Yes. Nice. That's yeah. What I think. yeah, that's that's one of the things, like, with the show. That's why I have, I have, like, a lot of people, all different backgrounds, you know, just is, that are individuals doing their own things. Right. Like, and that kind of shows, like, I mean, even though they're all very different people, it kind of shows, like, the common humanity a bit too you right, know, like, right. Yeah. just humanity just like and when I say humanity it means like I care for anybody if I see anybody suffering mm. I don't care like I don't think about somebody's skin color when I see somebody suffering yeah it, it hurts me like I feel like I, I I feel I see it and I feel it like like almost like they transferred some kind of energy to me that makes me feel bad 
if I see somebody else going through a hard time. And that's what I do, you know? And that's why I'm so, I'm done with you. If, if, if you want to cause it, you know? So that's my thing. I do have to get in to start DJing. Okay, cool. Um, I guess any final thoughts real quick? Uh, final thoughts is that I'm glad you interviewed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if, yeah, I know we got in a little bit of debate. I don't know if I got, like, too heated about the freedom of speech thing or anything. No, don't worry about it. It's yeah, just yeah. my opinion and your opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I de we I'm didn't definitely... We didn't disagree on anything, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely against racism. I'm just a little wary of, like, government censoring this or, like, censoring speech, like, for any well, reason. I mean, well, Because okay. you can't really determine, like, what's the I know bad that. speech and what the good... Yeah. Okay, so then ISIS should be able to walk through the streets then. If they're not threatening... You mean just with, like, ISIS flags? Yeah, whatever, you know? Well, I, I mean, would argue... You know argue that it wouldn't I, happen. You know it I, wouldn't happen. I know it wouldn't happen, but I would still argue <laughs> no, why, that was free now, speech. Actually, now, actually, now, ask your question. Why wouldn't it happen? Well, because a lot of people wouldn't like that. And I, I don't like... It either. So why like, can you walk down the street with a fucking Nazi flag? Well, I would argue you can, I can argue. I would argue you can walk down the street with an ISIS flag and a Nazi flag. Could you imagine? Yeah. I know which one is going to be drowned out. I really oh yeah, know I know. Do but you I know would that? argue that that's what I'm fighting that for. Both right are now. freedom of speech. That's what. If you want to fight freedom of speech, then do it for them too. Yeah. That's, that's now that sucks. Doesn't yeah. Because I don't like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like either of those guys. But you know, they have the right to be shitheads as long as they're not directly like threatening violence I, but I, I think that their whole core is about threatening violence which me puts it into a term of terrorism and that's cool. it so that's my thing right. thank you so nice. much yeah. man <laughs> okay so that was the interview and I hope you enjoyed it and uh, yeah I'll post a link to his blog in the description and uh you can also look up DJ Pat Pervert on Facebook. It has a link to uh, his website there. Anyway, if you want to keep updated with future episodes of BSing with Sean K, go to bsingwithseank.blogspot.com. That's bsingwithseank.blogspot.com. B-S-I-N-G-W-I-T-H-S-E-A-N-K blogspot.com and there's a link to my twitter my facebook my youtube and everything else and uh, that's about it for this episode and i'll catch you on the next one